0: Section 1 of Madam Howe and Lady Why. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Madam Howe and Lady Why by Charles Kingsley. Section 1 The Glen. Part 1 Chapter 1 The Glen you find it dull walking up here upon Hartford Bridge Flat this sad November day? Well, I do not deny that the moor looks somewhat dreary, though dull it need never be. Though the fog is clinging to the fir-trees and creeping among the heather, till you cannot see as far as Minley Corner, hardly as far as Bramsill Woods, and all the Berkshire hills are as invisible as if it was a dark midnight, yet there is plenty to be seen here at our very feet." though there is nothing left for you to pick, and all the flowers are dead and brown, except here and there a poor half-withered scrap of bottle-heath, and nothing left for you to catch either, for the butterflies and insects are all dead too, except one poor old daddy-long-legs, who sits upon that piece of turf, boring a hole with her tail to lay her eggs in, before the frost catches her, and ends her like the rest. Though all things, I say, seem dead, yet there is plenty of life around you at your feet, I may almost say, in the very stones on which you tread. And though the place itself be dreary enough, a sheet of flat heather and a little glen in it, with banks of dead fern, and a brown bog between them, and a few fir-trees struggling up, yet, if you only have eyes to see it, that little bit of glen is beautiful and wonderful, so beautiful and so wonderful and so cunningly devised, that it took thousands of years to make it, and it is not, I believe half finished yet. How do I know all that? Because a fairy told it me. A fairy who lives up here upon the moor, and indeed in most places else, if people have but eyes to see her. What is her name? I cannot tell. The best name that I can give her and I think it must be something like her real name, because she will always answer if you call her by it patiently and reverently, is Madam Howe. She will come in good time, if she is called, even by a little child, and she will let us see her at her work, and, what is more, teach us to copy her. But there is another fairy here likewise, whom we can hardly hope to see. Very thankful should we be if she lifted even the smallest corner of her veil, and showed us but for a moment if it were but her fingertip. So beautiful is she, and yet so awful too!' But that sight, I believe, would not make us proud, as if we had had some great privilege. No, my dear child, it would make us feel smaller, and meaner, and more stupid, and more ignorant, than we had ever felt in our lives before. At the same time it would make us wiser than ever we were in our lives before. That one glimpse of the great glory of her whom we call Lady Why. But I will say more of her presently. We must talk first with Madam Howe, and perhaps she may help us hereafter to see Lady Why. For she is the servant, and Lady Why is the mistress, though she has a master over her again, whose name I leave for you to guess. You have heard it often already, and you will hear it again, for ever and ever. But of one thing I must warn you, that you must not confound Madam Howe and Lady Why. Many people do it and fall into great mistakes thereby, mistakes that even a little child, if it would think, need not commit. But really great philosophers sometimes make this mistake about why and how, and therefore it is no wonder if other people make it too, when they write children's books about the wonders of nature, and call them, Why and Because, or The Reason Why. The books are very good books, and you should read and study them. But they do not tell you really why and because, but only how and so. They do not tell you the reason why things happen, but only the way in which they happen. However, I must not blame these good folks, for I have made the same mistake myself often, and may do it again, but all the more shame to me. For, see, you know perfectly the difference between how and why, when you are talking about yourself. If I ask you, Why did we go out to-day?— YOU WOULD NOT ANSWER, BECAUSE WE OPENED THE DOOR. THAT IS THE ANSWER TO, HOW DID WE GO OUT. THE ANSWER TO, WHY DID WE GO OUT, IS, BECAUSE WE CHOSE TO TAKE A WALK. NOW, WHEN WE TALK ABOUT OTHER THINGS BESIDES OURSELVES, WE MUST REMEMBER THIS SAME DIFFERENCE BETWEEN HOW AND WHY. IF I ASK YOU, WHY DOES FIRE BURN YOU, YOU WOULD ANSWER, I SUPPOSE, BEING A LITTLE BOY, BECAUSE IT IS HOT which is all you know about it, but if you were a great chemist, instead of a little boy, you would be apt to answer me, I am afraid. Fire burns because the vibratory motion of the molecules of the heated substance communicates itself to the molecules of my skin, and so destroys their tissue. Which is, I dare say, quite true, but it only tells us how fire burns, the way or means by which it burns, it does not tell us the reason why it burns. But you will ask, If that is not the reason why fire burns, what is? My dear child, I do not know. That is Lady Why's business, Who is mistress of Mrs. Howe, And of you and of me, And, as I think, of all things that you ever saw, Or can see, or even dream. And what her reason for making fire burn may be, I cannot tell, but I believe on excellent grounds that her reason is a very good one. If I dare to guess, I should say that one reason, at least, why fire burns, is that you may take care not to play with it, and so not only scorch your finger, but set your whole bed on fire, and perhaps the house into the bargain, as you might be tempted to do, if putting your finger in the fire were as pleasant as putting sugar in your mouth. My dear child, if I could once get clearly into your head this difference between why and how, so that you should remember them steadily in after-life, I should have done you more good than if I had given you a thousand pounds. But now that we know that how and why are two very different matters, and must not be confounded with each other, let us look for Madam Howe, and see her at work making this little glen, for, as I told you, it is not half made yet.' One thing we shall see at once, and see it more and more clearly the older we grow. I mean her wonderful patience and diligence. Madam Howe is never idle for an instant. Nothing is too great or too small for her, and she keeps her work before her eye in the same moment, and makes every separate bit of it help every other bit. She will keep the sun and stars in order, while she looks after poor old Mrs. Daddy Longlegs there and her eggs she will spend thousands of years in building up a mountain, and thousands of years in grinding it down again, and then carefully polish every grain of sand which falls from that mountain, and put it in its right place, where it will be wanted thousands of years hence, and she will take just as much trouble about that one grain of sand as she did about the whole mountain. She will settle the exact place where Mrs. Daddy-Longlegs shall lay her eggs, at the very same time that she is settling what shall happen hundreds of years hence, in a star millions of miles away. And I really believe that Madame Howe knows her work so thoroughly, that the grain of sand which sticks now to your shoe, and the weight of Mrs. Daddy-Longleg's eggs at the bottom of her hole, will have an effect upon suns and stars ages after you and I are dead and gone. Most patient indeed is Madame Howe. She does not mind the least seeing her own work destroyed; she knows that it must be destroyed. There is a spell upon her, and a fate, that everything she makes she must unmake again; and yet, good and wise woman as she is, she never frets nor tires nor fudges her work, as we say at school. She takes just as much pains to make an acorn as to make a peach. She takes just as much pains about the acorn which the pig eats, as about the acorn which will grow into a tall oak, and help to build a great ship. She took just as much pains again about the acorn which you crushed under your foot just now, and which you fancy will never come to anything. Madame How is wiser than that. She knows that it will come to something. She will find some use for it, as she finds a use for everything.' That acorn which you crushed will turn into mould, and that mould will go to feed the roots of some plant, perhaps next year, if it lies where it is, or perhaps it will be washed into the brook, and then into the river, and go down to the sea, and will feed the roots of some plant in some new continent, ages and ages hence. And so Madame Howe will have her own again. You dropped your stick into the river yesterday, and it floated away.' You were sorry, because it had cost you a great deal of trouble to cut it and peel it, and carve a head and your name on it. Madame Howe was not sorry, though she had taken a great deal more trouble with that stick than ever you had taken. She had been three years making that stick, out of many things, sunbeams among the rest. But when it fell into the river, Madame Howe knew that she should not lose her sunbeams nor anything else. The stick would float down the river, and on into the sea, and there, when it got heavy with the salt water, it would sink, and lodge, and be buried, and perhaps ages hence turn into coal, and ages after that some one would dig it up and burn it, and then out would come, as bright warm flame, all the sunbeams that were stored away in that stick, and so Madam Howe would have her own again. And if that should not be the fate of your stick, still something else will happen to it just as useful in the long run. For Madam Howe never loses anything, but uses up all her scraps and odds and ends somehow, somewhere, somewhen, as is fit and proper for the housekeeper of the whole universe. Indeed, Madam Howe is so patient that some people fancy her stupid, and think that, because she does not fall into a passion every time you steal her sweets or break her crockery or disarrange her furniture, therefore she does not care.' But I advise you, as a little boy, and still more when you grow up to be a man, not to get that fancy into your head, for you will find that, however good-natured and patient Madam Howe is in most matters, her keeping silence and not seeming to see you is no sign that she has forgotten. On the contrary, she bears a grudge, if one may say so, with all respect to her, longer than any one else does because she will always have her own again. Indeed, I sometimes think that if it were not for Lady Why, her mistress, she might bear some of her grudges for ever and ever. I have seen men ere now damage some of Madame How's property when they were little boys, and be punished by her all their lives long, even though she had mended the broken pieces or turned them to some other use. Therefore I say to you, beware of Madame Howe, she will teach you more kindly, patiently, and tenderly than any mother, if you want to learn her trade. But if, instead of learning her trade, you damage her materials and play with her tools, beware, lest she has her own again, out of you. Some people think again that Madame Howe is not only stupid, but ill-tempered and cruel, that she makes earthquakes and storms, and famine and pestilences, in a sort of blind passion, not caring where they go or whom they hurt, quite heedless of who is in the way, if she wants to do anything or go anywhere. Now, that Madam Howe can be very terrible, there can be no doubt, but there is no doubt also that, if people choose to learn, she will teach them to get out of her way, whenever she has business to do, which is dangerous to them. But as for her being cruel and unjust, those may believe it who like. You, my dear boys and girls, need not believe it, if you will only trust to Lady Why, and be sure that Why is the mistress, and How the servant, now and for ever. That Lady Why is utterly good and kind I know full well, and I believe that, in her case too, the old proverb holds, like mistress, like servant, and that the more we know of Madam How, the more we shall be content with her, and ready to submit to whatever she does, but not with that stupid resignation which some folks preach who do not believe in lady why that is no resignation at all that is merely saying what can't be cured must be endured like a donkey when he turns his tail to a hailstorm but the true resignation the resignation which is fit for grown people and children alike the resignation which is the beginning and the end of all wisdom and all religion is to believe that Lady Why knows best, because she herself is perfectly good, and that, as she is mistress over Madame Howe, so she has a master over her, whose name, I say again, I leave you to guess. So, now that I have taught you not to be afraid of Madame Howe, we will go and watch her at her work, and if we do not understand anything we see, we will ask her questions. She will always show us one of her lesson-books, if we give her time. And if we have to wait some time for her answer, you need not fear catching cold, though it is November, for she keeps her lesson-books scattered about in strange places, and we may have to walk up and down that hill more than once, before we can make out how she makes the glen. Well, how was the glen made? You shall guess it if you like, and I will guess too. You think, perhaps, that an earthquake opened it? My dear child, we must look before we guess. Then, after we have looked a little, and got some grounds for guessing, then we may guess. And you have no ground for supposing there ever was an earthquake here strong enough to open that glen. There may have been one, but we must guess from what we do know, and not from what we do not. Guess again. Perhaps it was there always, from the beginning of the world. My dear child, you have no proof of that, either. Everything round you is changing in shape daily and hourly, as you will find out the longer you live. And therefore it is most reasonable to suppose that this glen has changed its shape, as everything else on earth has done. Besides, I told you not that Madame Howe had made the glen, but that she was making it, and as yet has only half finished. That is my first guess, and my next guess is that water is making the glen, water and nothing else you open your young eyes and i do not blame you i looked at this very glen for fifteen years before i made that guess and i have looked at it some ten years since to make sure that my guess held good for man after all is very blind my dear boy and very stupid and cannot see what lies under his own feet all day long and if lady why and he whom lady why obeys were not very patient and gentle with mankind, they would have perished off the face of the earth long ago, simply from their own stupidity. I, at least, was very stupid in this case, for I had my head full of earthquakes, and convulsions of nature, and all sorts of prodigies which never happened to this glen. And so, while I was trying to find out what was not there, I, of course, found nothing. But when I put them all out of my head, and began to look for what was there, I found it at once, and, lo and behold, I had seen it a thousand times before, and yet never learnt anything from it, like a stupid man as I was, though what I learnt you may learn as easily as I did. And what did I find? The pond at the bottom of the glen. You know that pond, of course. You don't need to go there. Very well then if you do, do not you know also that the pond is always filling up with sand and mud, and that though we clean it out every three or four years, it always fills again? Now, where does that sand and mud come from? Down that stream, of course, which runs out of this bog. You see it coming down every time there is a flood, and the stream fowls. Very well. Then, said Madame Howe to me, as soon as I recollected that, don't you see, you stupid man, that the stream has made the glen, and the earth which runs down the stream was all once part of the hill on which you stand? I confess I was very much ashamed of myself when she said that, for that is the history of the whole mystery. Madam Howe is digging away with her soft spade. Water! She has a harder spade, or rather plough, the strongest and most terrible of all ploughs, but that, I am glad to say, She has laid by in England here. Water? But water is too simple a thing to have dug out all this great glen. My dear child, the most wonderful part of Madame Howe's work is that she does such great things, and so many different things, with one and the same tool, which looks to you so simple, though it really is not so. Water, for instance, is not a simple thing, but most complicated and we might spend hours in talking about water without having come to the end of its wonders still madam how is a great economist and never wastes her materials she is like the sailor who boasted only she never boasts that if he had but a long life and a strong knife he would build st paul's cathedral before he was done and madam how has a very long life and plenty of time "'and one of the strongest of all her tools is water. "'Now, if you will stoop down and look into the heather, "'I will show you how she is digging out the glen "'with this very mist which is hanging about our feet. "'At least, so I guess. "'For see how the mist clings to the points of the heather leaves "'and makes drops. "'If the hot sun came out, the drops would dry, "'and they would vanish into the air in light warm steam.' But now that it is dark and cold, they drip, or run down the heather-stems, to the ground. And whither do they go, then? Whither will the water go? Hundreds of gallons of it, perhaps, which has dripped and run through the heather in this single day? It will sink into the ground, you know. And then what will become of it? Madam Howe will use it as an underground spade, just as she uses the rain. At least, when it rains too hard, and therefore the rain runs off the moor instead of sinking into it, as a spade above ground. End of section one. Read by Cara Schallenberg, www.k.ray.org, on January twentieth, two thousand eleven, in San Diego, California.